Welcome to the Garage Podcast, presented to you by the Young Adults Group at Salem First Baptist Church. Thanks for tuning in to hear this week's message. We're going to go ahead and get rolling. Um, I look different than Tyler because I'm not Tyler. He's gone this week and he asked me to speak. So we have been going through a series on apologetics over the past, I guess, four or five weeks now. We took a week off last week because of Easter, which is a valid reason to take a week off. But we're diving right back into it. And this week, we're talking about something that is near and dear to my heart, which is the LDS Church, or more commonly known as Mormonism. Now, the reason why I enjoy this is because I have been meeting with Mormon missionaries for the past five years. By the way, let me pause. I realized I forgot something. My name is Philip. Thank you. I appreciate the one person who said hi. You're my favorite person. But I've been going to this group for the past six years. I've been going to this church for all 24 years of my life. Anyway, that's me. I'm not Tyler. I also, like Tyler, cannot grow facial hair, but that's just not what this sermon is about. So anyway... Speaking on the Mormon religion, over the past five years, I've had these interactions with Mormons, and it was something that started even before then where I had an interest in apologetics. It's the area of my faith that I take the most interest in, and I enjoy listening to other sermons, other preachers, and just doing my own research on areas around apologetics because the question of not just who is God and what is God, but why is God and does he really exist? And how do things of the world match up with my beliefs? That thing always had an interest for me. And it started back in high school when you go through the biology classes and all of a sudden you're introduced to evolution and how the world was created through the Big Bang. And you have to ask yourself these questions of, does it match what I believe? And if it doesn't match what I believe, Why doesn't it match what I believe? Does God exist? Can God exist if there are two different ideas? And it's a lot of putting pieces together, and I found a great interest in that. And not just having the interest in finding these out for myself, but learning how to articulate them and share them with other people who have similar questions but may not know the answers. The other area that started to interest me as I got a little bit older, near the end of high school, was other religions. Because, as Tyler has mentioned about, and as he's talked about for the past however many weeks, we're Christians, And we need to know why are we Christians, and is Christianity the one true religion? And Tyler mentioned back in the first week that out of all the religions, it's not whatever religion you want. It's not every religion can be a correct pathway to heaven. There can only be one. By definition, each religion is exclusive. And so I needed to know why Christianity, and it's what this series has been called, and I love it because it is a very important question. So, as I started meeting with other Mormons, I met them, and I started having these conversations. And I'll admit, as I came in, I started asking your stereotypical questions. Oh, why can't you guys drink coffee? Like, why do you have special Mormon underwear? Why do you guys have to get baptized in the temple? Blah, 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 blah. And I learned. I learned these answers. And I learned that they really don't like people asking them these questions because they're just annoying. Because they're questions that honestly don't really matter in the grand scheme of things, whether or not you drink coffee. And so... I wanted to dive deeper, and as time grew, I began to understand more and more about what they really believe, and not just about what they believe, but who they are as people, where their hearts are, where their understanding of God is. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be attacking three major questions. We're going to be talking about what does the LDS Church believe, what do we believe, and what does the Bible believe? Now, to start off, let's take a look back at the beginning of Mormonism. If you guys don't know, Mormonism was started in about 1820 by a guy named Joseph Smith. When he was somewhere between 13 and 16, he prayed to God and he said, God, there is all these religions, these churches around me. I don't know which one is the one true religion. Please show me which religion is true. And he received a vision, and in this vision, he saw two personages being shown as light. The two personages were God the Father 
and Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ then gave Joseph Smith a declaration and a, and a task, and he said, hey, there's all these churches around here, but not a single one of these churches is the true church. No church in the entire world recognizes me as Christ, neither do I recognize any church. And you need to start your own church, that is the one true church of God. So Joseph Smith went back to his house, and he kind of kept this all to himself. And later on, he was kind of like pondering, okay, I have this command from God. What do I do with it? And so then an angel came to him, and he went out. And the angel showed him where plates were buried that were the lost, long, long lost book of Mormon. And so Joseph Smith dug up these plates. He took them back and translated them into what is the book of Mormon today. So fast forward now to today. Mormonism is a worldwide religion. It, Expands all over the world. That's what worldwide means, by the way, in case you didn't know. But through it, there have been a lot of issues because as I talk to Mormons, I start to realize they kind of speak the same language I do. I mean, they say the same things about Christ that I do. They say, okay, here's how you get to heaven. There's a guy named Jesus Christ. He's the son of God. He came down to heaven. He lived a perfect life here on earth. He was crucified on a cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead. If you believe in him, you are saved. That seems so similar to ours. In fact, I would give that same speech to someone else who's wanting to know about Christianity because that is how you get saved. Now, we need to take a step back before we dive into this deeper because let's talk about heaven. Let's talk about what they believe about heaven because it's fun. So in our belief, there's essentially there's one heaven and there's one hell. There's different areas we could get into that conversation on a different time, but in the end, you're going to be with God or you're going to be without God once you die. Now, in Mormonism, let's start over here. I'm going to put an OT there. That stand, that's, oh, that's supposed to be a D. Good spelling. It's outer darkness. Did you know darkness does not start with a T? Anyway, this is outer darkness. This is what Mormonism is considered to be hell. It's just another fancy word for it. It means the same thing that we mean when we say hell. Now, when we get into heaven or heavens plural, this is where it gets a little more complicated. So down here, this is the bottom level of hell. We have the terrestrial level. I'm not even going to try to spell the rest of it. In the middle level, we have the telestial level. And in the top level, we have the celestial level. Now, each one of these heavens has a different representation or a different way that you can get to them. So if we're looking at this bottom level, the terrestrial level, this is for anyone and everyone. This is for someone who's a bad person, someone who doesn't care about God, someone who's like, religion isn't for me, don't care, never going to get into it. This is a person who goes out, like, you're, you could even say someone who's like a criminal, who does bad things. This is the bottom level. Anyone and everyone gets into it. There is no limitations, essentially. This middle level, the telestial kingdom, this is for good people. When you look out into the world, you'll see a lot of people. You see some people that you're like, eh, idiot. You see other people like, yeah, that's a good person. And you don't necessarily need to have faith in this regard. If you are a good person, you will get to this middle level of heaven, the celestial kingdom. And the top level, the celestial kingdom, these are for people who believe in Christ and follow his commands. These are essentially what we would be or what Christians would be. Or not Christians, excuse me, what the LDS would be. Now, when I do ask them, I, I, I've explicitly asked them, now, where do you think I would end up? And it's somewhere between these two. As I mentioned before, the way that they believe they get saved is very, very similar to ours. And so in that regard, they say, hey, you're going to be in here. And other times they say, well, you don't follow all the Mormon practices, so you're going to be in this middle level. 
Now here's one thing that's very, very important that needs to be pointed out. This level right here, this is the only level where God resides. God is not in these two levels. His presence is not in these two levels. These are levels of heaven, yet God is not quite there. Now, as for outer darkness, this is where things start to get a little complicated, or a little sad even to say. In this level, the only way, the only way to get to hell is to deny Christ. If you are ambiguous, if you don't know who Christ is your whole life, bottom level of heaven. If you feel like you live your life and no one really gave you a good message about Christ, and you just live your life living like, ah, I'm going to do what I want to do, I'll try my best, whatever, it is what it is, at least you're getting into the bottom level of heaven. But if someone comes to you and presents you with the gospel, or if you're a Christian, or if you're a Mormon, or if you're Catholic, or whatever it may be, and you had an opportunity to accept Christ, or you did accept Christ, and then you turned and denied him, you're going to hell. Now that's going to play a big part later on in the message, but for now we're just going to leave it right at that, which always keeps things exciting. It's about retention time. Anyway, so let's talk specifically about salvation again. As I mentioned, in order to be saved, they believe that Jesus Christ came down to earth, died for your sins, rose again on the third day, and that we, our belief in him is what saves us. In addition to that, you must also get baptized. That's essentially about what LDS believes in order to get saved. It seems simple, and it's very, very similar to ours. So again, that brings up the question, Philip, why on earth is there even really a difference? We're saying the same things. In fact, Jesus commands us as Christians that we need to get baptized as well. So just because that Mormons are taking what needs to be saved, what we need to do to be saved, and adding one small thing to it, does that mean that their salvation is null and void? I mean, in fact, they're covering the one area that we need to be saved, According to Christ, according to Romans chapter 10, profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that he was raised from the dead and you shall be saved. That's simple. They're doing that. They're just adding another step. Does that really matter? I mean, if you're doing more works, we're gonna, this is a work we're going to do anyway. We're going to get baptized anyway because God commands it. And then the question then becomes, well, who is Christ? Who do you believe is God? And this is where it starts to get a bigger separation between our church, what we believe, who God is, and what they believe. Now, to start off with the basic part, we believe in the Trinity. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three beings, all of one purpose, all of one God. As you may expect, the LDS Church does not believe that. They believe that they are three completely physical separate beings. There is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each of them have that title, but they are all completely separate. Now, how on earth are they created? Well, God the Father is up in heaven. God the Father has sex with God the Mother. Yep, new player introduced. They have these offspring that become spirit babies. All these offspring, it includes all of us, including that there are angels as well. Any heavenly being is an offspring, a physical offspring of God the Father and God the Mother, according to the LDS Church. Now, who is Jesus? Let's get back to that. Jesus is another one of these offspring. Because before we came down to earth and lived our life here on earth as we're doing right now, we are spirit babies up in heaven. And then from that point, we get sent down to earth. Jesus was another spirit baby up in heaven. While up in heaven, God looked down at earth and he said, there needs to be one ultimate sacrifice in order to pay for the sins of everyone. 
spirit baby Jesus raises its hands. He says, I will volunteer. I will be the one who will be the sacrifice. God the Father looked at him, endowed special powers upon him, sent him down to come live a perfect life and be the sacrifice. Is that the same God that we believe? It's not. It's completely different. And even if you use the same terminology, it sounds so close. So close. I remember being in high school, having these conversations with other Mormons in my church and thinking to myself, Does it, doesn't matter. doesn't matter. We're saying the same thing. They're saying we believe the same thing. doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It absolutely matters. If I believe in a God right here and they believe in a God right there, yet we have the same name for each, they're separate. There are so many people. You could pick out people in this group who have the same name, but they're completely different people. It matters. About a year and a half ago, I spoke on truth, and I used the passage John chapter 8. And I'm going to reference that one again because it shows the importance of why God matters. John chapter 8, for a little just refresher for you guys, what happens is Jesus is speaking to a large group, predominantly of Jews. As he gives this message, he wraps things up, and those who don't believe him, they just get out of there. They don't care. They're like, this guy's an idiot. I'm gone. But there are those Jews who believe. They stick around. They say, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe what you're saying. I believe that you are Christ. Jesus then spends the next 29 verses absolutely destroying their faith, bashing their faith to the point where all these fresh-believing Jews try to go find stones to kill Jesus. Why would he do that? I mean, this is something that bugs me a little bit the first time I read through it. Why would Jesus, why would loving Jesus, especially Jesus of this New Testament, the one that loves everyone and cares for everyone, why would he take fresh believers and then just proceed to absolutely annihilate their faith and say, you never believed in me in the first place. It's because what this group of Jews was doing was something that we see a lot of other religions do and something specifically that Mormons do as well. This group of Jews, they had an idea of who God was, of who Jesus was. Jesus Christ, our Savior, came down and he gave this message to them. And they said, that sounds right. That sounds like, sounds like something God would say. I'm going to take this, I'm going to stick it on my God and say, yep, it's the same thing. I believe what you're saying. I'm putting it to my God. And Jesus said, nope, that is not allowed. He understood that it matters when it comes to who Christ is. There is no compromise on who Christ is. Now, when I look at the church as a whole... And as I mentioned with the story of Joseph Smith founding the church, it brings the question of where does this play in? Where does this play into the world, to our religion, to Christianity, to the Bible? Because they are so convinced, as are just about any other religion, that this is the one true religion. So do we even see it? I mean, they believe in the Bible themselves, just so you know. So do we even see evidence that Mormonism could possibly be true in the Bible? And yes, yes we do. In fact, I believe the LDS church was prophesied to come. In 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 11, verse 4, 13 through 15, it says, starting in verse 4, For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we have preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading around as apostles, and no wonder, 
For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, that his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, it says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even we, if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or God? Am I trying to please men? If I were trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, in those passages, we are explicitly warned about false prophets, specifically warned about angels guiding to a gospel that isn't the true gospel. And the thing about these two passages, they're talking about people who are preaching a gospel, who are preaching a Jesus Christ. They're using the same exact words that we would use, but Paul recognized that, hey, it's not the one true Christ, therefore it's wrong. To the point that he says, those who are teaching are going to be eternally condemned. There is no any leeway where you're not going to get to heaven and say, oh, God, but I thought. No. God doesn't allow that because God is exclusive and he has to be. Another thing that I get a lot from the LDS people when talking to them is them saying that, well, well, we are the same. We believe that we're Christians and, and, and you're not. Or, excuse me, that we believe that we're Christians just as you are as well. As I hear this, I, I, I can't help but question, do they understand what they're taught? And I don't mean that in some arrogant, oh, I know better and I know more about your faith than you do type of way. But you see, Joseph Smith wasn't just a founder of Mormonism for them. He was a prophet. He was someone who received the word of God, who spoke on God's behalf. Everything that Joseph Smith said essentially was scripture because he was a mouthpiece of God. The first thing that Joseph Smith said was that about all the other Christians, about the churches, he said that all their creeds were an abomination. The professors were all corrupt. They draw near to him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. The first thing he does is create a separation between Christianity and Mormonism, yet they believe we're still the same. Brigham Young, another very, very famous Mormon who founded or was named, had the college named after him, excuse me. There was once a conference up in New York between a bunch of Christians. A bunch of Christians from different churches kind of got together because there was some disputes in the church. They're saying, I believe one thing, I believe another thing. These Christians got together and said, all right, let's open up the Bible and figure out what the true word of God says. Brigham Young looked at them and laughed at them and said, ha ha, they can't even figure out what they're trying to believe. But that's something I do weekly. It's something that our church does constantly. When you have questions about the Bible, where do you go? You go to the Bible. You get back together with the Bible. Brigham Young believed that this should be led by the head of the church. The head of the church should help decide these controversies. One man above the whole church should decide where the church goes. Again, explicitly calling out a difference between us and between them. Now, even as I talk to them, to talk to LDS missionaries, they still believe that we are the same. And the thing that kind of breaks my heart about them, as I mentioned, is like the fact that they don't even understand a lot of what they're taught. They understand the Book of Mormon. They understand the Bible. They understand the sermons that they're being taught. But they have these people, this 
Brigham Young, they have Joseph Smith, people that are held in such high esteem as prophets, as mouthpieces from the word of God, yet they don't even know about some of the things that they say. One of the things that most non-Mormons know, just as a stereotype, is that Mormons believe that they can become gods. As I mentioned here, it's nowhere on their belief system of heaven. When I talk to them, I ask them, is that really a belief? They're like, oh no, that's, that's not actually a belief. That, that was just a made-up thing, some misinterpretation. So where did that come from? It came from the King's Fall at Sermon by Joseph Smith. He said, we have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. You have got to learn to become gods yourself and to be kings and priests to God, same as all gods have done before you. This is something that the LDS Church considers to be scripture, yet they don't teach on it. Why? Because it contradicts the Bible. Isaiah 44, 6, I am the first, I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Isaiah 43, 10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God, and neither shall there be one after. And the most important thing that we believe that they do not is we believe that Jesus is Lord. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. And verse 3, through him all things were made that were made. Nothing without him that was made has been made. Jesus Christ created everything. In order for Jesus Christ to create everything, he cannot be created by God the Father and God the Mother. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ came down, took on flesh, died for our sins, rose again on the third day. Two separate gods. Same words, two separate gods. We've all heard the passage about the narrow is the gate, wide is the way that leads to destruction. If I aim here versus aiming here, two different points, only one can be right. I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot, but I do because it's that important. It is that important to realize that your faith on who God is actually matters. And this isn't something where I'm trying to say, hey, look at, look at the LDS church. How, these guys don't, don't know what they're believing. They're idiots. This is for everyone. We need to evaluate our own faith. And in addition to this, looking at them, we need to recognize that these guys are people. We need to recognize that a lot of what they believe is the same way that we've learned to believe a lot of what we believe. Growing up in the church, learning from our parents, hearing these stories. Now put yourself in this position of someone in the LDS church. Say someone comes to you and start to recognize that maybe what you believe isn't true. You may ask the question, well, why, why not just go out and check out other churches, see if they're true? Why not go and experiment for yourself? Go find out what the truth, find out who God really is. That's why. How do you get to outer darkness? You deny Christ. What does that look like for someone in the LDS faith? It looks like leaving the church. It looks like losing your family. It looks like losing anyone who loved you, all of your support system, all gone for the sake of Christ. You are risking leaving the LDS church. You're risking going to hell 
If you're in this church, you feel like you have a safe space, even if you don't know quite what you believe. You at least have this belief that you are guaranteed to go to one of these two bottom levels of heaven. The least of heaven is greater than the greatest on earth. They believe that as well as we do. But they believe that you can get there even if you just don't have faith. But to walk away from the church, that's denying Christ. See, that's one of the things that I had a tough time understanding as I started to meet with Mormon missionaries, as I started to have discussions with people of other faith, is that it's not just about finding what's right. It's about letting go of what you have built your entire faith upon. A lot of what the way that you live your life has been based upon something that wasn't even your own faith. And even as you start to develop that, it's tough to let it go. It's tough. I can't even imagine going up to my parents and saying, hey, I don't believe in the same God you do. I believe you're worshiping the wrong God. I'm leaving the church that I've grown up in my entire life. That's tough. That's tough. And so I was, I was looking around, and I was talking to people. I was talking to ex-Mormons. I was hearing stories online from other ex-Mormons, and I was trying to figure out, why do, why do you leave? How do you finally get over it? And, and people leave for a variety of reasons. But oddly enough, one of the biggest reasons they leave is from the legality of the church. They recognize that the church adds works. I mentioned back at the beginning, we, we believe we're safe through Christ. They do as well, but they add baptism. They add a work. There's so many things. You get to these levels. These different levels are based on how you act here on earth. It's not rewards that you build up in heaven. It's the way you act will determine whether or not you're going to be with God in heaven. That's something I wrestle with because... I very much like to look at things from an intellectual level. I want to be able to have a conversation, to have a debate with you, to understand, hey, this is where I'm at, this is where you're at, let's find the one truth. As soon as we find the truth, it's going to be all fine and dandy. We're going to be on the same page. Life's going to move on, but it's not that simple. But the scary part is in Romans 1, verses 18 and 19, it says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. You see, even even as I have these conversations, if they recognize what the truth of God is through the scriptures, through the scriptures that God speaks to me and shares with them, that's no excuse for them not to leave. And that's the tough part because I know that it's just not easy to get up and leave and walk for Christ. It's tough. It's tough. Through the five years and near the end, as I've gone to these conversations, it's gotten to the point where I've been able to get an answer through Christ for just about anything that they say. To the point where I, they'll give their, their argument towards me, I'll fight back with scripture, and they'll have nothing to say. But yet, that doesn't turn them to Christ because it still has to change the heart. And it's something we recognize as well. I mean, talk to anyone who's a non-Christian. You're not debating them to get to, to become Christians. You're showing them the relationship with Christ, sharing your testimony. testimony. You're showing them that there needs to be a change in your heart. You're explaining how God has changed you, the way he's changed that you've seen people, the way that he's changed, the way you see yourself. It's a heart change at the core of it. So even through this apologetic series with I love, which I love, you have to understand that you're talking to people. Because as someone who can debate well, I am my own greatest risk. 
Because Satan can so easily use me to deter anyone away from the faith. If I go around trying to Bible bash everyone, keep them away from the faith, not show them any of the love or the grace that Jesus has, then I'm not a tool for Christ at all. I need to listen. I need to see people. I need to understand people. But as we look at other religions, as we look at different areas of apologetics, we cannot and we will not compromise on the truth. Let's pray. Dear God, you are so mighty and powerful, Lord. We thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the fact that you cared enough about us to send your own son. You sent yourself down to die for us, Lord. You rose again and you paid for all of our sins in a way that we have no ability to, Lord. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here to be able to openly discuss different topics, different areas that we have or may have a conflict with, Lord, and that we're able to find the truth through you and through the scripture, Lord. God, I pray that you be with us throughout this week. I pray that you keep the weather sunny, preferably 100 degrees, and that we have a fantastic rest of the day. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Garage Podcast. We hope the message has made you think deeper about faith and will strike up new conversations as you go about your week. If you want to hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Have a great week.